Welcome to the Following Jesus Together podcast. Hey, this is part two of Why Groups. Uh, Last week, we talked about why each of us feel called to community ministry and leading community ministry. We talked a little bit about groups from the scriptures. Uh, Today, we're going to get a little bit deeper into how we transform into relationships. And joining me today is the entire groups team. And by way of introduction, this is going to be the question. Ready? What is the meal you would have the rest of your life and why? Ooh, that's a hard one. That's an easy one. (laughs) A really good burger. Okay. Mm. From anywhere in particular? Uh, basically every fast food place. Water burger? No, no. Every fast food place, the burgers are way too thin. Okay. So, mm. so you need a thick patty, you need a really good bun. What are you putting on the burger? Not a tomato because tomatoes <laughs> don't add anything. If you want acid Gosh. added to your burger, you need some really good pickles. Cool. That- <laughs> <laughs> I love this for you. Is it a sandwich though? Oh my gosh, stop it. Stop. A burger is a sandwich. Uh, Tori, what about you? I'm a little more fancy. I'm not going to lie. Mine is a perfectly cooked steak. Yeah. Which means it's not which well is done. Medium, what? Medium. Medium. Okay. I, I can't. Medium rare if I close my eyes. <laughs> and then aspa- I don't see it. asparagus with hollandaise sauce okay. and a wedge salad without blue cheese because blue cheese is disgusting. So you have expensive Aww. taste. Well, I grew up with a really good chef dad. And then Rob, my husband, I would specifically want to cook this set okay. steak. Hey, that's that's mm-hmm. great. That's an encouragement to Rob. Mm-hmm. Ryan, what about you? Well, what I would want, my stomach doesn't agree with. So, <laughs> which is <laughs> this is a world where you can eat anything. Oh, okay. Um, then that means that I would want um, a supreme pizza and a Caesar salad. Okay, solid together. I, oh, but it has to have sriracha on the side. That's a okay. lot of vegetables. <laughs> That's yes. too many vegetables for Mark. Yeah. Uh, I'm with Tori. I would go for a perfectly cooked steak as well. For me, it's a filet. Yes, it's mm-hmm. expensive, uh, but that's what I would choose for the rest of my life for sure. Uh, hey, okay, so as we think about community ministry, again, part one, we talked about our stories a little bit. As we think about community ministry in part two here, the question that we're partially trying to answer is how does community ministry play into our formation of following Jesus? And so how would we talk about that? What are some things that would inform that for us? Yeah, so probably one of the best books I've ever read. It was the first book I ever read in seminary. Uh, It's called When the Church Was a Family. And uh, Hellerman, in his book, talks about salvation being a community-forming or or community-creating event. And so we know that there's this chasm between uh, us and the Lord, that sin is created, and in salvation, that that chasm is is bridged. But there's also a gap and a chasm between uh, human relationships that has been broken and marred because of sin. And so uh, in salvation, we are restored with our creator. We are restored with uh, with Christ, um, but we're also restored in human relationships as well. And so the long and short of it is we've been created for community. God has created us for other people to belong to a community. And you see this in, in the Old Testament, that people are, that God created a people, God established a people. Yeah. Um, it was not just a bunch of personal uh, relationships, but then also in the New, New Testament, there's no such thing as an unchurched Christian. It's not just me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus and my community and my people and my church. And so that right there, is, I mean, that that book lays out a full biblical theology of all the language that's been used in Scripture and, and even the familial language that is specifically used in the New Testament um, and how Paul specifically uses brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and, and how significant that is. And the, the again, the long and short of it is that God has created us for people, for community. Yeah, I love that. I heard this quote forever ago, and it's just always stuck with me, that to be 99% known is to still be unknown. And that plays into community as far as you're formed 
into the image of Jesus as you commit to other people, as you are vulnerable and um, they get to know you and still love you and be with you. That's something that was uh, just kind of pivotal for me in my relationship with the Lord was that he didn't just love me, but he liked me. Um, that he chose me, that he delighted in me, and we get to experience those uh, relationships in community. Not that we're all going to be best friends, but when you commit to people, especially those that aren't outside your family who, quote-unquote, have to love you and have to be with you, there's something just extra special there where I can show up to my community group and confess the, the sin that I'm struggling with, not to just be placated with niceties, but for them to know me in that, see me in that, and walk with me in that, and then still show up the next week and still love me and talk to me and be with me again. That long-term being known is just so, so crucial and transformative um, just because, like you said, how God designed us. It just—I I always love how things like that that we see in Scripture really do play out in real life. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is how this is supposed to be. Yeah, and to go back to the Hellerman book that you talked about, Mark, and to pick up a little bit on what you're talking about, he has a quote in there that says, spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. Mm. People who stay grow. People who leave do not grow. It is a simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. And so there's a side of that that is like, people that love me because we have chemistry and it's easy, but then there's mm-hmm. also a side of it that's like, no, you actually draw something out in me that I don't I don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be in relationship with you. It's not easy with you, but there's something about that commitment and that covenantal relationship that we talked about last episode that draws us together and that yes. we grow by staying. We don't grow by leaving. Mm-hmm. And our character is formed mm-hmm. through that. Yep. Um, our neurochemistry is quite literally changed by the people we are around. And we read a book, what was it, like two and a half years ago? Yeah. As a team, Renovated by Jim Wilder. And I'm going to just say that quote real quick, which is, I had to look it up because I misquote things. As a team <laughs> knows. Jim Wilder in Renovated, trans- he says, we're transformed by who we love more than what we believe. And I just think about that vertical and horizontal relationship, that our vertical relationship with the Lord, how we love him really does affect how we love others. And then when you look at neuroscience and all these sciences that are now proving that to be true, I just, I love it. I love that we can see how the Lord has designed our own brain chemistry really does mirror what the Bible says. For sure. Um, I just want to read this real quick because it popped into my mind as we were talking about this. In the book of James uh, in chapter 1, and we're all familiar with this, but it says, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effects that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. And we don't just experience those trials in our individual lives. We experience those also in community, whether that be relationships within your community or just actually— uh, carrying each other's burdens together. And it's that endurance that it produces that hope, that produces that maturity that we're all chasing after until Jesus returns. Yeah. And it just came to my mind that like the scriptures were written not just to a, one person, it was written to a people, people right? Yeah. And so in Texas, we get it right when we say y'all, like y'all. Did y'all be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that there is something about that that's communal. And it was written to us uh, for the shaping of the body as a whole. One of the things that we talk about as a team a lot is that love is the greatest marker of spiritual mm-hmm. maturity. And I'm just going to say it again. Uh, love is the greatest marker of spiritual maturity. Why do we think that that's true? Well, I think it's it's really hard for us to to think about, you know, particularly in in Jesus's teachings when he talks about loving your enemies. 
And that's that's something that I think that we probably uh, internalize and interpret as just avoid your enemies rather than actually seeking to love them. And I think it's Wilder that actually points that out in, in Renovated that if you could just imagine that if your gut reaction towards your enemy when they wronged you was love and compassion, yeah. that, that would show a pretty significant amount of spiritual maturity. Um, and I think that's something that people maybe aren't even look, looking towards as a goal to, to reach. But if we could actually take Jesus' command as loving your enemies, that's what that actually means, is when someone mm-hmm. is harsh towards you or someone is actually looking out toward to harm you, um, and if your reaction is actually to love that person, then, then that's going to show quite a bit of spiritual maturity. It's like more and more right understanding of what God has done for us. C.S. Lewis says to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And it's just to piggyback on what Mark's saying. It's such a simple diagnostic tool to evaluate our heart and say, are we able to forgive and love? And the more we're able to yeah. do that, the more we have a right understanding of what Christ has done for us. Yeah, it's yeah, good. You know, I think in a lot of us, and we'll talk a little bit later in the episode about consumerism and how we've been formed by that. But, you know, we've kind of been dancing around this thing that like, let's just talk about their home group. Let's just talk about home group Tuesday night. And we think about this. What we're not saying is uh, that you should only be around people that are easy to love. Correct. But we're also not saying that you should find people Go that find you people don't that like. You don't <laughs> That's exactly like. right. And only and surround only yourself. only love them. Woo! That's exactly right. And so it's somewhere, it's in the my middle, kind of right? Mm-hmm. And I think in my mind, what, what comes to my mind is like, we love the people who are around us. That mm-hmm. that's what we are commanded to do. Love the people that are around us. You may not love or you know, it's not easy to love the person in front of you, but that is the person that you are being asked to love. And so we're not saying go find somebody that, you know, makes you crazy and then love them. But there is a sense of like who is around you and mm-hmm. ask God to work in your heart, in your life, to love the people that are around you. Absolutely. And it's the greatest commandment, right? Yeah, that's to right. love God and love others. Um, and I just, if we're talking about spiritual maturity, what is that? Well, it's looking more and more like Jesus, right? right yep. And to look more and more like something, you have to behold it. You have to cherish it. And so our love for God should directly cause a love for people. And when we think about that, it's a, it's a good indicator that our lack or increase of love for people is a direct reflection of our lack or increase of our love for God. Yeah, so what are you beholding? Mm-hmm. What are you cherishing? It's good. So as you think about vulnerability, that's kind of one of the things, and you mentioned being fully known, Ryan, mm-hmm. and talking about vulnerability. Why is vulnerability an important step in following Jesus? Well, and that's, I mean, what what we've been talking about, it's it, we model Christ by loving people at their worst. And so if if we allow ourselves to be seen and be fully known, um, then vulnerability breeds vulnerability and, and other people will then be willing to also share the best and the worst parts of, of themselves as well. And so as, as we are able to share in that vulnerability in the context of community, that's how we model Christ to each other. And, and the, the things that we don't want to share, the things that we have have kept hidden for years and years and years are are often eating at us in ways that we didn't even yes. realize. Um, and and oftentimes either it blows up and and actually shows itself, or uh, it just continues to to limit us and and actually limit our ability to be in relationships with others, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes even gets in the way of relationship with the Lord. Yeah, and. I mean, we've we've talked about this, that like our main audience here is our leaders. And as leaders, it's so important for us to model that. You just, you never know who's showing up in your living room and what they're actually going through and what they're hiding because they feel like they have to. It's not a great thing, but there are so many Christian circles and cultures that people are trained in that. They're trained to, um, 
you can call it the niceitis, you know, like, how are you? And you just make everything nice, like everything is good. And modeling that for the people that they can be safe there, that this is a culture of grace, that they can be known here. It really is just, um, it creates that safe place where people can actually be known, confess their sin and joyfully repent. You can't walk in freedom if you're still chained to something in the darkness. And it quite literally disarms the enemy, which is, yeah, it's, it seems countercultural to even say that because we live in a culture that says, hey, don't, don't share all of you because you won't be accepted. Or, hey, you have to accept, accept everything about me to be accepted. Yeah. And we kind of lean on both sides of the spectrum. But when we fully walk in light, we also get to show the joy and hope that we have that supersedes our circumstances in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And over and over again, that just disarms the enemy. It helps us walk in that freedom that everyone's kind of already touched on. Yep. Yeah, I would say if your community doesn't have any sort of mess involved. You're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. You know, like it's actually a sign of, (laughs) of it's it's a positive thing for people to be able to walk in and share the things that are really going on. Because guarantee, and honestly, we need other people to help us do that because many times we just even lie to ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's not that big of a deal. And downplay it. We just downplay it. Mm -hmm. And so to allow somebody else to be able to step into my space and for me to give them the permission to do that, I have to allow them to do that as well. Yep. You know, and we can talk about all the things that's like earn the right to be heard and all the things that play into that that are all true. But as we talk about vulnerability, and Ryan, you talked about the 99% known is still unknown. And we talk about the difference between transparency and vulnerability. Transparency is, I've heard it say this way, where you lay down, you know, you, you, you bring down the armor. But vulnerability is actually handing the other person the sword. sword. And the reason is because it can actually cost you. It can actually yeah. cut you. It can actually For hurt sure. you. And many of us in our family of origin or in our past, we have been hurt by other people. So we don't want to bring down the vulnerability because we know that somebody else can hurt us with that. And part of the growth and step towards maturity is actually dealing with the things that are in front of us and having somebody else press into that with us. That's one of the ways that we get to actually practice uh, love with one another. And, and become more like Jesus. For sure. So as we think about community formation, and that's one of the words that, you know, we've, we've talked about as a team. This is actually, we talk about spiritual formation. You know, we talk about some of the other formation. This is community formation, how we grow together. Uh, what are some other things that form us in community? I'm going to pull out my past teacher and parenting moves, but I think they apply here as well. But I do as a leader, and you watch what I do. So that modeling that Ryan was mm-hmm. talking about, I'll help you. I'll be alongside you, and we can do this together, but I want you to also be a major player in this. And then you do this thing, but I will be right there. When you fall, I'll be there to encourage you. And then full autonomy. Like we we want to encourage others to walk in full maturity and more Christ-likeness. And so I think in groups specifically, that looks like edifying gifts, calling those out in one another, allowing spaces for people to utilize their gifts, having shared ownership in those things. And then really that, we talk about this a lot, but it goes from my group as a leader to our group collectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, there, I mean, I'm pretty sure that there's research to, to back up this claim that there is a lot more change and transformation that's done whenever you're calling someone to be a certain person rather than do a certain thing. So we all know that behavior modification only goes so far. And so the way that we're formed as a community is by saying, hey, this this is who we are going to be. Um, there's there's more significance in saying in trying to tell someone, hey, don't lie anymore, don't lie anymore, don't lie anymore, because you know we even have in us in our sinful nature sometimes a desire to actually do the thing that we know is wrong, and yet saying, hey, we are a people 
who does not who do not lie. We are a people who are going to love our 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 neighbors. We are people who are going to love our enemy. That call to being a collective group that values a certain thing is going to hold so much more weight than just certain morality principles. For sure. And honestly, I mean, it's that what scripture tells us, iron sharpens iron. Um, You're going to be formed by those around you. Any parents that are listening to this, what do we tell our kids? You know, we care about the people that they hang out with. We care about the friends that they have. Not that we want all of our kids to only be around church kids and church friends, but there is truth to that. There is something to that, that whoever you're hanging out with and spending time with and um, surrounding yourself with, you will be changed by. And so, prioritizing and actually um, committing to being around those in your community group, the the hope is, is that you're going to look more like each other in a really good way, in a beautiful way. Half of the stuff that me and my husband use in our house for parenting was not stuff we made up our own, but it was what we were, what we saw modeled for us and that we chose to also mirror an image because we got to see from beginning to end the fruit of what these people around us did whenever they disciplined their kids and what the benefit of that was, what the fruit of that was. We got to see that in real time, in real life. And so that that plays out in community. The way you're going to talk to your spouse will hopefully start to change if you struggle with being sharp with your words and you're around other Christians who always respond in gentleness. It's going to be an encouragement for you to also mirror that. Mm-hmm. And we hope, we, we hope that we're going to pull all of the goodness from each other that God has given us and look more like each other. That's good. Yeah, I mean, as I think about just how we're transformed and how community formation plays into this, my, my great concern, so I'm just talking about myself, but my great concern is that for a lot of us, we sit in environments where we are passive attenders and we are not actively doing the things of what it means to follow Jesus, that there's a there's a sense that our knowledge has outpaced our obedience. And I think more of us need more spaces to obey and not just learn more knowledge. Knowledge is an important aspect of what it means to follow Jesus, of course, but there actually has to be, what are we gonna go do with that? Who are we gonna be in our community? And that our community, honestly, it's just just easier to do it together, right? It's easier to be able to look somebody else in the face and say, let's go do this together, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just flying solo. Um, So as we think about community ministry, like what are some of the stories that come to mind for us? Yeah, I mean, we we get an opportunity to just hear countless stories of of the community that is built and formed within the context of our home groups, and I mean, really, the the types of stories that we're hearing um, are things like, you know, I I would trust anyone in this group to to do my funeral because they know me to the fullest, and they they are able to honor the ways in which the Lord has moved and worked in my life, and just that just that simple story alone is is a testament to being fully known and belonging to that community. Because because you know they have walked together for years, and we talk about this a lot. That the uh, actual growth that happens in the Christian life is not over a short amount of time, mm-hmm. right? It's happening right. over a very long period of time. And so, your community that you're committed to for years, rather than just a couple of weeks, um, is going to see those significant steps of growth and change, and get to celebrate with you in the way that the Lord breaks through and moves in your life. Yeah, people who stay grow. People who mm-hmm. do not stay do not <laughs> yeah. grow. Yeah. Um, Okay, so as we think about uh, community formation, and if all this is true, what keeps us from community? Because we know that there's a lot of things that keep us from really the ideal that we've laid out here. What are some ways that we think community is kept from us? um, Going back to just kind of that vulnerability piece and being known, um, it's the fear of rejection. Mason King told us uh, in a staff prayer a couple weeks ago, and it just resonated with me, that people would rather be lonely than rejected. Mm. Um, And just the culture that we're currently in and the context that we find ourselves in, 
you can be in a crowd and be completely isolated. And nine times out of 10, it's not because these people want to be alone. It's because they'd rather just not put themselves out there. They'd rather not hand over the sword. Maybe take that first step of transparency, especially with social media. I can put anything and everything about my life that I want to on there and make people think that I'm being transparent. But until I actually take that step of like, and now you have the ability to actually harm me, there's just a difference. There's a difference there. And it's scary and it's hard. Yeah. To piggyback that, the hum of this culture is consumerism. Yeah. So I would say consumerism plays into that as well. What can you do for me? We have, we're just fed that versus what can I do for you? How do you benefit me? And then I actually think that influences and impacts what we do with our time. I think they play together. I also think that's the work of the enemy. But time is such a valuable resource. And what we do with our time shows what we value, right? Mm -hmm. And we intuitively understand tithing our money. But I, in the last few years, something that I've become more and more passionate about is this idea of tithing our actual time, Mm -hmm. looking at the time I'm spending in a week because time is fixed. It's 24 hours in a day, seven days a week. Am I creating margin for other people? Am I creating margin that if my neighbor wants to chat with me at the mailbox, I'm not rushing to go do something else? Am I creating margin to have focused attention on others or am I thinking about something I'm going to do in five minutes? But it's, I mean, you could fill in all kinds of stuff, your quiet time, volunteering, Mm -hmm. but- we control our time and what we do with it. And so when people say, I'm busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy for this, it really comes down to what's your priority and how are you utilizing your time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I've interacted with so many well-meaning Christians that just say, man, I, I desire this, I want this, I want to make time for it, I want to make space for it, and yet just find themselves just consistently distracted, busy. distracted by different things. Or And I mean, gosh, like just look at the screen time uh, indicator on your yeah. on your cell phone. Like, look or mute at, it. Yeah, well, right. <laughs> <laughs> but like look at look at how much time that you're giving to, to things that aren't mm-hmm. always life-giving. I think we're right. all, we, we are all fall, falling victims to that in one way or another and just being distracted by by things that um, sometimes aren't even detrimental but just completely neutral in yeah. in nature but uh, I think that's that's one of the big things that also keeps people from community for sure and just going back to priorities um, I think there's a difference between hey I'm gonna fit community and community group home group whatever it looks like for you into my schedule after right. I fit everything else in. So whether you have kids or not, you know, if you have kids, just all the different extracurricular activities that you can stick them in or their school calendars, all of the things. And then if there's time, then maybe I'll sign up for a home group versus, hey, this is a priority. So maybe that means saying no to something because my group meets on Tuesday night. So no, we can't do this extra thing. No, we can't go do this. And it's just, it's countercultural. It is totally countercultural. And um, that doesn't mean that we don't have grace for those around us, especially as leaders. You are going to have people in your group that do this, and we still need to create space for them, and we still need to have grace, And um, but we also want to call them into something else in that and be a model for what it looks like. So you as the leader, that also means that you, you should be prioritizing this. What does your life say? You can't tell other people or get frustrated with other people for not priorities, prioritizing community if you are also making decisions that hinder the consistency of your group. 
I think about consumerism and it's, it's just everywhere, right? So it's not just consumerism. It's a special breed of consumerism. Like get as much as you can, as fast as you can. And like, that's what success is in this life. And we've talked about this, that love is not compatible with consumerism. It's just not. And we expect everything to happen with the speed of light, right? We have high speed internet and we have fast food and we have rapid rewards and all of these things. And for many of us, we think that church and being formed by Jesus is going to happen with minimal effort and with maximum speed. But all transformation requires loss, right? It actually costs you something. That's why vulnerability Mm -hmm. is so important. It costs you something. Um, And somehow we think that we can be healthy by not saying no to things. But in our physical life, we know that. Like we know that by saying no to ice cream, that that actually affects physically what my body is going to look like. It's actually healthy. And so we have to do that in our spiritual life. We have to do that in our community, in our relational life. And that all of these things really do tie together to say we're going to make space for one another, even when it's hard, even when other things are pulling at me, but there's a sense that we are doing this together. We're going to, Jesus would say, to deny yourself. Mm -hmm. And that spiritual formation, community formation happens uh, together. Even your yeses, right? Sort of flip that a little bit. Your no's, but also your yeses are a no to something else, which that has stuck with me. Yep. That's good. So as we think about our leaders, and, and you brought this up, Ryan, like, what are pointers or tips of the trade that we would give to our leaders to say, hey, in my group, I have, you know, 50% of them are exactly what you described before, where they're allowing distraction to come into play, they're allowing the busyness, they're allowing the consumerism to come into play. What are things that we would say to help our leaders model it, teach it, whatever it might be, to help call people into a deeper formation of following Jesus together? Tori mentioned this in the last episode, but it's that consistency. It's whether the two show up or the 20 show up, but being exactly who you say you're going to be and being consistent with that. Um, people remember that. They, they'll remember that no matter what, even if everybody on the group text was dropping like flies, that you were still faithful to have group and have your open your house open. That shows that you are committed to this, that you are going to make priorities for this, uh, or you're going to prioritize this. It also is a really beautiful thing when you're just actually really open practically with what your life and your schedule looks like. Some of the most formative times um, that I've had were when people just sat down and showed me, hey, this is what this actually looks like. I remember the, the last church that I was at, we were doing this whole training for the Sabbath, and everybody kept on t- talking about the Sabbath in these like hypothetical terms of like, well, this is what it could look like, or this is what it, and I, re- I just raised my hand, stopped everything. I was like, but what do you do for the Sabbath? Not because I want to specifically mimic exactly how you're doing this, but just be real. As a pastor, as an elder, what does the Sabbath look like for you? As a leader, as a home group leader, what does your week look like? You have a super busy schedule like everybody else, but show us, tell us, like Tori was saying, show us what it looks like for you to make time to talk to your neighbor for five minutes at your mailbox. Share those stories. Share and just be open with what you're actually doing. What comes to mind for me is Finding the Right Hills to Die On, Mm. another great book, actually. Um, Largely in part for me doing the Institute here that I even know about that book, but fighting for unity in that. So as a leader, I think you get to kind of drive that ship um, as you see people trailing off or Mm -hmm. getting disagreements over the things that aren't the right thing to disagree on in that moment. We're we're shooting to be unified in Christ, not in our politics or our views on organic versus non-organic food, Um, but really fighting for that. Because if we're not able to do that inside our community with the people that are should be easier to love, but you know that's up for debate. But 
if we're not able to do that in this Christian circle where we have this faith that's unifying us, how are we going to be that way with the coworker that's really annoying at the coffee spot? Or how are we going to be that way with the person that cuts us off, who we don't have any relationship with and no trust built with? Yeah, and and I think that uh, as a leader, I mean, the gift giving the gift of going first is is something that we talk about, mm-hmm. and that's why we encourage our our home group leaders to share their testimony first, um, and you get to really set the stage and and give kind of the the gauge of vulnerability because if you're not vulnerable in sharing your testimony, uh, the group members are not going to be as vulnerable in sharing their testimony as well. And I would say that that vulnerability is also a a two way path in the sense of uh, you can be vulnerable in sharing things, and but yet you control what you share. Another way to to really lead with vulnerability is invite people to actually give you feedback to to say, "Hey, are you receiving me in a way that is loving? Are you mm-hmm. receiving what I'm saying as a way that is actually encouraging towards the group?" And sometimes you have to do that in trusted relationships. That's that's a part of community. But I would say that vulnerability needs to be seen in both of those ways as well. Yeah, there, there's one more thing I want to add on this is we. Hopefully, as home group leaders, your home group has a purpose statement, a mission statement, a collective agreed upon, this is what we're going to be about. And it's crucial that you are, like Tori said, driving the ship to where that is actually what you're doing. In Yes, we are in a hyper-individualized culture. It's fast-paced. We are bent towards consumerism. But it is no lie that all of us are stretched pretty thin in just our normal day-to-day lives. So people have to see the value and why they should even show up. Yeah. I've heard that so many times, like, well, I wanted to, and I was committed, but all we did was just sit there and eat chips on a couch. Well, yeah, I'm not cool. That makes yeah. sense. I don't yeah. want to give up two I, hours of my I'm life. I'm not going to give up two hours of my too. life to yeah. just sit around and just talking about nothing. And so there, it's that five elements. It's all of it. It's making sure that whatever agreed upon terms your group has come to be about those things. Yeah, that's really good. A community, a mission, belonging, and purpose, right? It's both yep. and not either or. Uh, that's really good. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We hope this has stirred your heart just towards love and good deeds and just reminded all of us on why we follow Jesus together. See you next time. Bye. Bye.